0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Well, today we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of John. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 9. And although we'll cover the entire chapter, we're not going to cover it all today. But this is that story that happened in history where Jesus saw a blind man and he helped that blind man to see. And so we want to talk a little bit about that because we're going to talk about two kinds of of, um, healing today. One is going to be, or sight we might say, one is physical and one is a little bit more spiritual. I don't know that you know this, but ever since the fall of man back in the garden, Remember, man was created innocent, and when he was created innocent, then through that he chose to disobey the Lord, and through that brought the moral ruin of the human race. But also with that became choices, and choices brought sin and all the suffering that went with it. And all throughout times, we have much suffering today and affliction today because of the sins that are essentially passed down from generation to generation, going all the way back to Adam. As I was doing some history, I found out that... um, as I looked in history, then in the 14th century, what has been known as the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague, that it wiped out one-third to almost one-half of all of Europe. And then if you fast-forward to the 19th century, if you look at all the Civil War soldiers that died, more died of disease from their injuries and wounds than they actually did in battle. You go up into the 20th century in 1918 and 1919 when the great influenza epidemic that hit America... Close to 40 million people died. In fact, I have family members, although they didn't die, they were affected by the influenza back then. But there are entire towns that died because of that. And you move it into today and you hear people that are dying because of cancer and AIDS and heart disease and all this is going on. Well, I do want you to know that God is very much aware of that and there is a day where that there will be people that will never know disease or sin or sorrow or pain. And those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, when we die, will get a new body and we'll be delivered from all of that. But even though today there are people that are still suffering with that. And it's a horrible thing to have a person go through that. It is interesting though because you can go through scripture and you'll find in the Old Testament that God, in spite of the results of sin and problems, that he would reach down and there would be certain people that he would choose to heal. Here's just a short list of them. You had Naaman who had leprosy. Hezekiah who had a terminal illness. The Israelites who were bitten by poisonous snakes. Then you had Sarah, Leah, and Rachel who were infertile. Then you had Job that had a debilitating infirmity. All these are individuals that had serious health issues and God chose to bring about a healing. Not to mention that there were three people in the Old Testament that were dead, 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 that came back to life all because of the sovereign act of God. If you move that then into the New Testament, even beginning with Jesus Christ, it's really interesting because when you follow the life of Christ, it seems like wherever he went, sure, he fed some people, but the biggest ministry that he had while he was alive, it seems like, is that there were people that were healed of tremendous debilitating diseases. In fact, it said there were so many people that were healed, I'm thinking that a lot of the Israeli area, that there were, you'd be finding very few sick people. So when I began to go through the healing of Christ physically... I decided to find out what are the different ways that Christ chose to heal so that you might be able to see what are the healings that you read about today or you might see even on television and how close would that be to a biblical healing of Christ being involved in this. So just listen to the six major characteristics of Jesus' healing. First of all, Jesus healed with only a word or a touch. Secondly, he healed instantly. When a person was sick, they were healed instantly. It wasn't a gradual process. He healed completely when he did this. How important that was to see that it happened right away and it stayed healed for that person's life. It also said that everyone who came to him for healing was healed. And there are a lot of people that might come to what we might call faith healers today. Not all of them get to him. Not every one of them gets even on the stage And not every one of them are healed, but when they came to Jesus, every single one of them that did come to him were healed. When he healed them, he also healed them of organic physical diseases and infirmities, not of invisible things, so so to speak, like a a headache or or a tummy ache kind of a thing. They were all physical healings that he did. And besides those five significant healings, We also find, number six, is that there were also people who died that Jesus brought back to life again, Lazarus being one of them. So he did raise them from the dead. So if you look at the life of Christ, there was healings that were going on. It was also interesting that when Jesus would heal he could also hand select people that he would heal he looked at this blind man we're going to see in a moment and when he saw the blind man he then did something with that blind man told the blind man to do something and that blind man was healed now we don't know if there were other blind people people that were hearing impaired or other diseases that he healed but at that moment he selected that one who didn't call out to be healed he healed him other times that those folks that did come to him for healing every single one of them was healed and i'm wondering if there's still something in that that's a veiled teaching on election and predestination in that where that there are those that god will select that will bring the message to that person and that person will come to faith alone and then you have the whosoever will that will come to christ And then he will save them as well. I don't know, but I'm just wondering about that. The point of the matter is when Jesus Christ healed people, while they walked away, obviously better because of that, they all still died. They all still needed way beyond his physical healing. They needed them... Him to spiritually heal them for all eternity. And that came by simple faith alone in Christ. And how beautiful that is when someone places their faith in Christ. So whether or not today you get a special supernatural healing. I promise you that every single one of you at any time in your life. Whatever illness that you have. You will be 100% completely instantly forever healed. When you die. If you trust Christ as your Savior. And so maybe not now but it will be then. So I'd like you to open up your Bibles now to John chapter 9, and we're just going to cover maybe 16, 17, 18 verses in here for the time that I have left. But I'd like to cover some points that might be helpful to all of you, because I want to talk about physical healing, which I will. But I also want you to know that when the Lord is teaching, and he's, it's recorded in Scripture, that it's like a symphony going on. It's like surround sound, technicolor. There are a lot of different colors, a lot of little truths that are happening all at the same time. And so I hope you would follow along. Yes, he healed this individual. See how he did it, why he did it. What were the messages behind that healing? What about the spiritual healing that is going on? What about his dialogue with different people and their different stages of their journey of faith? What is happening in this here? Well, we're going to talk about physical healing, but there's also something else. That when there's blindness mentioned in Scripture, sometimes it's a metaphorical blindness. It doesn't mean that you are physically blind where you cannot see. It's metaphorically blind, which means that you need to be given sight so that you can discern biblical truths and have understanding and so that you can see, in a sense, God through the Word. And so that's spoken as well. And that's what I'm mostly going to speak on. We'll go through the story of him healing this blind person and all the events that are involved. But I want to hammer down a little bit more than the physical part of this. I want you to see that underlying this is a great spiritual truth. And if you need to know that God does speak to us in these metaphorical ways, you can find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, especially as he talks about darkness and him being light. Well, let's begin, if you will. So if you want to, you can open up your Bibles now. And again, let's look at verse 1 together. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about that. There's one in the uh, chair in front of you. You can pull it out and follow along. If you read, look at verse 1. It says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth or a man born blind from birth. I like when I saw that because if you'll notice, Jesus Christ has such a beautiful balance and those of you that are now on your own studying the life of Christ, listen to this neat balance. He works the crowds, but he remembers the individual. He sees those who are lost that need to place their faith in him as the Messiah so they can have eternal life when he goes to the cross and pays for their sin. But he also speaks to those who are followers of Christ, believers in Christ, and he talks about discipleship and growing in the Lord. He talks about those who are rich, those who are poor, those who are men, those who are ladies, those who are young, those who are old, those who are religious, those who are political, those who are rich, those who are poor. Jesus Christ is the consummate balance of someone who looks at humanity and he reaches out and he touches them with the truth. And the beauty of it all is those of us who know Christ as Savior, we're a partaker of that same divine nature and Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. And we can have that same balance. And so as I see him with this crowd that's around him, and there is a big crowd, you're going to find that he looked at that blind man from birth and he saw him. Let me pause for a moment. I don't know who might be listening to me right now on the radio as it's going to be broadcast later on or maybe on the Internet. But maybe even some of you, you might have come in here and there's a lot of loving going on in our lanai and the food and we give you a beautiful chalet and we greet you and there's a lot of hugs and making sure everybody gets a a, a real authentic, genuine, we care for you and so glad you're here. We're humble because there's a lot of great churches. You would be here. But I also know that you might have come in very, very lonely a military person that's just come on island and they're just kind of figuring out where's everything on this island and how do we do the things those of you that move to island maybe that are here because of business and you don't even know what doctor to go to yet and you've got issues and you're so, so lonely some of you might have come into this church for the very first time and, and you look at everybody here and they all look pretty strange don't they well you ought to look at them for 45 minutes every Sunday I'm just joking but the point is is still this you might feel very much alone but I promise you as much as we can as a church here we never want you to be alone but there will be the time that you will put your head on your pillow at night all alone and i want you to remember that jesus christ can see through the mobs through the crowds and the multitudes of needs and he sees you right now and you know what you came into this meeting you are here today to worship and i want you to know that today's message is Is as if you are all alone and he wants you to be healed of whatever it might be. And I'm not talking so much physical now, but that you might be given sight, spiritual sight, so that you can see forever in Jesus Christ. And so God cares for you wherever you might be. Well, to do this particular message, I want you to know that my greatest emphasis in today's message is not about physical healing, but it's about seen spiritually. So that first little blank in your outline, if you just want to put it in all capital letters, I want you to see this week and next week, we're going to talk about seeing spiritually. I want you to be able to see things about the Lord from a spiritual perspective. Now to do that, I've divided up this chapter into two sections. One of it we're going to look at is what can hinder us from seeing spiritually and what will enable us to see spiritually. I know that some of you are really into your outlines and you really like to make sure that's filled in. Let me give you a heads up on this though. Instead of me just uh, dividing up this chapter and chopping it up and giving you four ways that might hinder us from seeing spiritually and four ways that might enable us to see spiritually, if I did it that way, I'd be all over the map on this particular chapter. What I've chosen to do is to give you these two areas, four points under each one, but I'm going to have to go back and forth in this outline because I want to go verse by verse through it. So you'll need to kind of lean into and listen to this. So that you'll be able to follow along at least as as clearly as we possibly can. So I want to talk about what might hinder us from seeing spiritually and what will enable us. So let's go to number one of the first section is what can hinder us from seeing spiritually? Well, let's go to the very next verse and we'll see what it says here. See if you can even pick it out. It says here, He saw the blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, meaning teacher, who sinned this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So here's the first thing, the first truth that will hinder you from seeing spiritually, and that is when you have what is known as an either-or thinking. In other words, you put God in a box. It's either going to be this way or it's got to be that way. And often when we do that, we really hinder seeing God from a third perspective because He often gives a third option. Some of you might remember the time when they brought up to Him a coin that on one side had the face of Caesar on it, and so... They were asking him, who does this money go to? Does it go to Caesar? Who who gets this money? Who who has this money right here? And you know what he said? He gave him not the either or. He gave him a third option. And so maybe right now you're going through a situation in your life and you're wanting to see spiritually. It could be because you're looking at your life on an either or. It's either got to be this way or it's got to be that way. And I want you to know that God often has a completely new life in front of you if you'll center down on him and say, Lord, Will you now open up my options? Lord, I'm going to take you out of my little box and I'm going to have you kind of get bigger than that box so that I don't see just it's either going to be this way or that way. Because when we see it that way, we're going to have some real problems. Let's see what happens next. So he says that and Jesus answered, he said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents sinned. And that's telling you that there is that third option, that it's not going to be just one or the other. Now, some of you, when you read this, I might need to talk a little bit about when you have a child and if that child would have some kind of deformity. Was there a sin involved in this? Well, first of all, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense when they're saying, who sinned, this man or his parents if he was blind from birth? Does that mean that this little fetus sinned in the mother's womb because he was born already blind? So did he sin then? So that doesn't make any sense. However, if you understand a little bit about some of the uh, outside Jewish teachings, they would look at some of the Old Testament and they would see some of the times when God would say that when there was sin, it would be passed down to the next generation. So generally speaking, generally speaking, when there's a general sin, there will be a general result in the suffering of the next generation. and You can see that. Now listen carefully. There are some that will say... That if this happens, why did it happen to an individual? Does that mean then that the mother and father sinned? There are remote times in Scripture that the actual result of the sickness is related to the sin. Now, not necessarily from the womb, but it can happen. If you remember the story of Miriam, who was related to Moses, and she then rebelled against Moses' authority as leader of the Jews... And so when she rebelled, as well as did others, she then was given leprosy. So in some cases, in some individual cases, there is that when a person sins and immediately goes back into that person as a result and has sickness. But I want to make sure you're very clear on this, parents. There is no scripture that will say that there is a direct result that every child that is deformed is because mom or dad committed a sin. I'm going to come back to that in this passage in a moment. But I would like you to know this: that if a mom is carrying a child and is making wrong choices about what she does with her body, whether it's excess alcohol, or whether it's drugs, or whether it's excessive smoking, when it's affecting the body who's carrying the fetus, it can and often does have an effect on the child. And so there is a little bit of a corollary to this. Now, in this particular situation, we know that the Lord said, no, this person who is blind is not blind because of a sin, a specific sin of mom or dad, of the parent on this. So be very careful how you then Project that everybody who's sick must be because there is sin in their life. Now what I thought was so interesting is that when Adam's sin brought the moral ruin of the human race and with it brought all the wrong choices, with that also brought in sin into the world, which also brings affliction and all the rest, that the Lord would still look at all that's happening and he would reach down and he would still say, while I did not cause it, I will now come and my mercy and my grace will reach into your life and reclaim it. So I don't know what you're going through right now, whatever your physical situation is or what someone else, I want you to know that the grace and the mercy of the Lord is available to you, common grace and specific graces for you. And that's why at the end of this, it's not so much about the healing of the individual. What it is about is the revelation that Jesus Christ is almighty God and that he wants us to have an eternal relationship with him so we can be redeemed out of that situation of sin and sickness in this world and that's what's so beautiful about it. So this either or let's go back to the passage now. It's really a neither. He says um, it was neither this man that sinned nor his parents but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So sometimes when there's that sickness that there's a special working of God's grace and he wants to get glory through this and there have been many times. How many of you have perhaps heard the story of someone who's been so badly crippled born without arms and legs? but they were able to come to Christ in their mind, and while they did not grow more arms, more legs, that they took that deformed body, but a mind that was turned toward him, and that person has now lived a life that many people are turned to Christ, to righteousness, and they may never have a new body here, but they have a home in heaven, and this person is now giving glory to the Lord and saying, no matter what's happened to me, it doesn't really matter, because Jesus loves me, and I have purpose. There are no mistakes with the Lord. We are all deformed in some way or another. And whatever we are, whatever we might have in our life, let's just pause for a moment and see God and say, Lord, how can I take with what I have and bring glory to you? And if you do, all of a sudden the floodgates of creativity, of how you can be more used of the Lord will be opened up to you. And I'll tell you, there's such a sense of peace if you'll just come to him and let him do that in your life. So he says here, is to be done the works of God. Verse four says, "We must work the works of Him." I thought that was interesting because he changes it from I and God and I says we. So I think he has a, a little veil, a little nudge there. Disciples, listen right now. will you listen to me? We as disciples must now work the works of Him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now that sounds like a a big bite of the apple right there. So what is he really saying? That's that's not too difficult. He's saying, just like I did works, you're going to do works. Later on in John, he says, the works that I do, you'll even do greater works than I have done. That means you and me, we can even do greater works. Oh, I don't know that we'll have a healing ministry, but we can have certainly a spiritual healing meeting when we share the gospel with other people. He also said here, I am the light of the world, but then I'm not always going to be here. Does that mean that the light is gone? No, he's always the light. We've got to do it while it's still daytime because night's going to come. That night means is the time when he's not going to be here. So it's going to be light night because he's gone. However, we now become his light. And so as I allow Christ to live his life out through me, his light is my light. And now our light can shine out abroad to other people. And here's what it says. It says we must do this. Now, folks, I want you to think for just a moment. He's now saying, okay, we're talking about this blind person. I'm going to do something with him in a moment but right now. He says, but listen, we must work the works of God. Now, we're at Christmas time and I love Christmas. I love the lights. I love to drive around and see the lights. Tonight we're going to go on the trolley. Some of you are going to walk through the holiday tonight. Some of you are going to go down to Waikiki and see the beautiful hotel. It's going to be great. But I'm going to tell you that this world is crying out in their own way to manufacture a heaven on earth experience and they're doing it with tinsel and glitter. And what we have is a golden opportunity for us to present Christ to a world that is incredibly secularized. And the neat thing about all of this is that if there's ever a time during the, the, the year that we are allowed to, permitted to, speak about Christ, it is now that you can do that. Secular rock stars will sing a song that's perhaps a Christmas carol, don't even know what they're singing about. So this is a golden opportunity to be able to present Christ All of us should use the opportunities that are given to us, whether we put gospel tracts and Christmas cards that we're sending out, whether we invite them to trolley rides or to night of delights or to Christmas Eve services or in some measure to do something to let people know that we're a Christian and to present the message. We have to do this. We don't know how much longer that we have physically and perhaps economically or politically in this world. And so we have to do it. Richard Baxter, is probably one of my my more favorite pastors. He lived in the 1600s. He was a Puritan pastor. And here's what he says. A little quote from him. He says, I preach like I'll never preach again as a dying man to dying men. And if I could just have a little bit of Richard Baxter and me that this would be my last sermon. If it's my last sermon, I want to make sure that I'm giving the gospel and I want to do it as if I'm dying today and you could die a moment after I die. And I want you to hear, if there's only one message, it's the message that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And that while you'll never maybe have physical healing in this world, I can promise you, you will have instantly and forever and completely spiritual healing the moment you come to Christ and do what he says, which is what? Believe on him and thou shalt be saved. So, What does it say here? Get rid of the either or thinking because that could really hinder us and what you want to do is all right, say, Lord, you teach me from your word now. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? Because I want to bring great glory to you. How special that is. Well, let's look at the second one. What can enable us to get our spiritual sight back? What can enable us to get our spiritual sight? Let's go back now to verse six. Here's what you read in verse six. It says, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and he made clay of the spittle, and he applied it, the clay, to the blind man's eyes, not to his own eyes. And said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So the blind man went away with that mud on his eyes, and washed and came back seeing. So if you want it in one word, here's the one word. What is, what's going to enable us to be able to see spiritually? It would be the word obey. I think if I had another word to put right before the word obey, it would be the word trust. And as I look at this passage here, you have to understand how much faith this blind man had to have in Jesus, who was very much a provocative person at that time that was all around him. The word got out who he was. Remember, the Jews were there. Look at all the blind people, in a sense. You had the Jews, you had the crowd. You had the Pharisees, you had the parents, you had the disciples, and you had the blind men. All of the others were blind spiritually. You had only one that was blind physically. The blind guy that was physically blind, he got his sight, and then he got spiritual sight, while the other one still remained blind. The point still being, all these people around him, and here comes this provocative man, and he says, I'm going to heal you, and here's what you need to do. Now think with me for just a moment. Here's this blind man, doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. Here's the crowd around him. He was a beggar, we know, in the context. So he probably heard a lot of people around him speaking to him. Get away from me! I don't want to give you anything. I don't all this activity. And then Jesus, he hears this. <sighs> I don't know if it was quite like that, but I can only imagine. Remember, they have acute hearing. And then he reaches into the dust, and then he spits in his hand, rubs this together, and puts it on his eyes. Now this is why. We want to really know God's word because it wasn't just... I mean, he could have picked up a leaf and done this. He could have rubbed it on his cheek. He could have done anything he wanted to. But why spit? Why mud? Why on his eyes? Well, if you go back, you're going to find that when God made man, he made man out of the what? The dust of the earth. Then you're going to find, Scripture says, man is nothing but dust. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, it says, We return to the dust.